Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Gamble on, fellas. Gamble on. Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, U.S. Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. And John, let's kick things off with a little golf betting story right up your alley. A better at a William Hill Sportsbook in Nevada bet $45,000 to win almost $3.4 million on Phil Mickelson in last week's U.S. Open. He didn't get much of a sweat as Phil found himself in third to last place with a round one 79, followed by a round two 74, and a missed cut. Uh, The better, as it turns out, was James Aducci, the same guy who won almost $1.2 million on Tiger Woods in the Masters last year. Aducci, you'll recall, scored that big win and then gave $100,000 of it right back, betting on Tiger to win all four Grand Slams in 2019. Uh, We talked about responsible gaming last week on the podcast. I get the sense Aducci is not the world's most responsible gambler. Uh, So set a line for me, John, on how long it will be before he gives it all back. Uh, And as a golf guy, what's your expert assessment of how foolish betting on Mickelson to win was? Oh, I'm sure he's giving it all back and then some. That's uh, but I'm more interested in the uh, yeah uh, commenting on this bet. Okay. Um, you know, it's a nostalgia play based on Mickelson having kicked away the 2006 U.S. Open on the same course. Uh, he somehow decided to hit driver on the brutal final hole, made double bogey to lose by one shot, and that now it's the one major he'll never win. Um, nostalgia on a bet, though, not a good idea. Um, <laughs> but Phil's famous quote afterward after the round was, "I'm such an idiot." And, um, well, you know, that quote never goes out of style, does it? (laughs) Uh, So the pre-event thinking this year was that Phil is a stupid bet because you can't win at Wingfoot if you can't hit fairways. Uh, Of course, winner Bryson DeChambeau and especially runner-up Matthew Wolf proved that to be a lie for them. You know, their combined age is younger than Phil, so that's a little different. (laughs) But my favorite Phil story is from a few years ago. Uh, His typically errant drive of almost 300 yards, it beamed a young man on the head who was standing in the right rough. Uh, The ball bounced dead sideways all the way into the left rough. Now, Phil's first reply as he gave the man who was somehow seemingly unfazed an autographed <laughs> golf club was, and I kid you not, you know, it's a shame your head it wasn't a little softer. You can land on my ball right in the fairway. <laughs> so the moral of the story is you can't bet on Mickelson in a PGA Tour event without spectators. Uh, he needs them like a first grader needs bumpers in the gutters of a bowling lane. <laughs> so, and as for responsible gambling, it's better. Yeah, no, uh, it's I don't think this saga ends well. So uh, don't be this guy, listeners. Right. Yeah. I mean, th- this guy is what the sports books and casinos dream of. You know, have a, have a big bet that wins and gets a lot of publicity for the book yep. and the industry. And then the guy basically acts like a whale or a fish or whatever aquatic animal you prefer. And uh, (laughs) now that he has all this uh, found money to gamble it up a little bit uh, with, he uh, gets reckless and and does precisely that. Now, it could well be that Aducci took a few hundred thousand from his big win and tucked it away in a safe, low-yield investment. uh, And he's playing with the rest. (laughs) I'd like to think so, uh, maybe. Good for him if he did. Uh, But, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Come on, Mickelson to win? I I don't know much about golf, but Uh. I know better than to chase 75-to-1 odds there. 750-to-1, maybe. Yeah, you know, he's 50 years old. I mean, uh, you know, he he has still been competitive until the past year. So, 
Uh, yeah, top 20. I mean, I, I didn't think so because of the course, but, you know, yeah, it wouldn't have been insane. I mean, Phil obviously can handle the pressure. So if he gets off to a good start, he's not going to fold like a lot of players would in the U.S. Open. But right. um, but when is is just insane. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, all right. Well, thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 110 of Gamble On. If you missed any of our previous 109 episodes, they're all available on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Please subscribe, give us a five-star rating, and write a review telling us how rich you've gotten shadowing John's NFL picks. Oh, nice. nice. Um, yeah, coming up a little later in the show, we're going to be joined by Roto Grinders analyst Justin Van Zuden. Uh, he's going to talk baseball futures as the Major League Baseball season winds down. And get ready, an unusual postseason is about to begin next week. Yeah. Uh, but first, it's been an, all right, not really that busy week in the world of gambling. So let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. There was no doubt what our top story would be this week. Not all sportsbook launches are created equal, and the debut of the Barstool Sportsbook app got more than its fair share of attention last week. In partnership with Penn National Gaming, Barstool went live in one state, Pennsylvania, soft launching for a select audience on Tuesday before opening up to all Keystone State gamblers on Friday. Barstool founder Dave Portnoy proclaiming the launch a rousing success that blew all of the competition out of the water was no surprise and doesn't necessarily prove anything, but according to Bank of America... The app download numbers were very strong, 63,000 in the opening weekend, which is far more than DraftKings or FanDuel ever did in one weekend, although their rollouts came at a different time of year with much less fanfare. The actual Barstool mobile sportsbook doesn't look too different from any others. They have odds boosts and some reduced juice, and like Foxbet, they spotlight particular bets recommended by their forward-facing personalities. What makes Barstool different? is the brand and the reach. They have 8.8 .8 million Instagram followers, a very passionate following. It's an irreverent frat boy vibe, to put a euphemistic spin on it. And for those who love it, betting sports with Barstool falls right into the lifestyle. I wrote an article for U.S. Bets this week asking if Barstool Sportsbook will emerge as a national powerhouse. John, what's your answer to that question? And what are your thoughts on the rollout and the hype that this new sportsbook is getting? Well, Barstool is so interesting to me because it's the, it's detractors always underrate the major power of the brand. I mean, the loyalty of them is amazing. There's a lot of them. There's no denying it. Um, they may you know exaggerate their influence a little bit, but it, it's it's huge. It's big and it's loyal, so it's underrated. But um, you know, on the other hand. Uh, how big can they get? Um, it's a difficult question. DraftKings and FanDuel have really excelled at daily fantasy sports, at sports betting legalization. Now at online casino gaming in certain jurisdictions, they have their own millions each of loyal fans. And um, I, I think the diehard Bar Barstool person is going to add that app to their phone. Right. But um, I think a lot of those fans, even though Barstool is probably their favorite brand for um, programming and, and chats and podcasts and all that, a lot of them are already on DraftKings and FanDuel too, so uh, I don't think they're necessarily going to uh, cancel their their apps for them. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know that Barstool can get as big as them, but who else is going to keep up with Barstool at third? Maybe uh, you know this William Hill Caesars partnership is very much in flux, so I, I don't know what to think of them a year from now. But the casino brands have proven that having millions of loyal casino players, traditional casino players, is not a great transition to get them into sports betting. So. Uh, uh, clearly, uh, that's that's what Penn National bet on with Barstool is that um, daily fantasy sports and and Barstool, those are the fans that are absolutely either already sports betting or easily turned into it rather than uh, casino players. Yeah, um, I get to uh, I'll sort of uh, steal something from what Chris Grove said in my article. Uh, it's just and sort of expand on that is that. Uh, he pointed out the head start that FanDuel and DraftKings had is sort of bigger than we than we think of it as. It's not that they launched in 2018, a few months ahead of most of their competitors or a couple of years ahead of Barstool, but that really in 2014 or so, they were starting to work toward this sports betting situation should it come up. And they've really had that big of a head start. And so just as far as the, the Caesars type brands who are falling behind at the moment, Grove's uh, argument was to sort of give these other sports books that much time uh, before we can really assess that it's really it's not a something where we'll know the winners 
in the next year or two, it might be really more like five years or so before we have a full clear picture of it. So I'll, I'll just note that. But that said, I still I agree with basically what you said, that Barstool looks like a good bet to, to sort of be number three when the dust settles. Um, to expand on what I mentioned about Barstool's first weekend generating far more downloads than DraftKings or FanDuel's, the comparison there is fairly pointless. There is no control in this experiment. DraftKings and FanDuel launched in New Jersey during the slow sports summer in 2018, when most people in New Jersey didn't know legal sports betting was even coming, and hardly anybody knew exactly when it was coming. You know, there was no announcement. Uh, it was just sort of these soft launches that just kind of started um, in Pennsylvania. Now people know about sports betting. They have accounts at other mobile books. Barstool also beat the drum pre-launch. So my point is, you know, a better opening weekend tells us almost nothing about where the total download numbers will land. That said, a big opening weekend shows there's some level of interest in Barstool that goes beyond what Caesars or William Hill or Fox Bet or most of these other sports books have been able to tap into so far, which is what you were just talking about. The built-in audience, these downloads prove that that, that is for real. Well, plus the other the unique thing about them is that their diehard followers know that the more people that sign up in that opening week or opening day, um, the better the Barstool brand looks. Like when Barstool has big numbers mm -hmm. and they get to show off like Portnoy does, they feel like a part of that community, which, you know, forget about sports betting in any business you know, to have that many loyal customers who who feel like um, the the brand success they have, they're they're a part of it. That's a dream come true in any business. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, on the negative side, uh, tying back in with our opening conversation about the big golf better, there's definitely a discussion to be had about barstool and responsible gambling and whether they're encouraging irresponsible behaviors. Uh, I'll note that you know their Twitter personalities have already started making it personal with regard to athletes who cost them bets. Uh, we, we went down that ugly road with, with Parlay Pats last year, as uh, everyone will recall. So if Barstool is going to be part of this regulated industry, there are guidelines they need to follow. And I have to say, it, it's a small chance, but it is a non-zero chance that they do something awful that manages to kind of ruin sports betting legalization for everyone. It, you know, it's, I don't wouldn't view it as a major concern. I would view it as a, as a concern. And I trust Penn National to be professional. I'm not sure if I can trust Barstool Sports on that front. Well, yeah, I'm not sure it ruins the whole industry, but I it might ruin them. Right, yeah. <laughs> well, we, we'll see. Hopefully it won't uh, come to that and ruin anybody, but a uh, yeah. lot, lot to cover with Barstool as they continue this, uh, this rollout and continue to become a player in this market. Um, from a new sportsbook operator in Pennsylvania, we now go to both an old school operator and a brand new operator in D.C., some numbers have been released on sports betting in the nation's capital, and the much-discussed Gambit DC app, operated by Intralot and the DC Lottery and granted an online monopoly in DC with the user-unfriendly lines that experts were worried about, posted handle of $2.1 million in August. William Hill's retail-only sportsbook at Capital One Arena, which opened July 31st and features more industry-standard lines and prices, claimed handle of $9.1 million. Interestingly, the number of bets placed at the two books was almost identical, 69,000 for William Hill, almost 67,000 for Gambet, but the average bet at William Hill was more than four times bigger, uh, as it seems any informed better risking significant amounts of money is dealing with the inconvenience of doing so in person rather than using Gambet's prices. John, what are your takeaways from this? Is it too soon to reach real conclusions, or can we declare the lottery monopoly approach a bust? No, I mean, the, the Gambit product is not designed for sports bettors, so it's not necessarily a bust. Uh, I think these are two different products. Um, I think I look at, you know, whatever revenues they do collect on the lottery, it's just a marginal boost to the overall lottery figures, which is really what we're looking at here. So, I mean, any sports better foolish enough to take on those lines will, you know, part with his money pretty quickly. But I think uh, there's a lottery product there in dc and then there's an actual sports betting product so uh i in my mind i don't even necessarily compare them yeah and and you've expressed that take before that they're they're yeah. running it like a lottery not a sports book uh, where the goal is to be assured comfortable wins uh, the the question for me is just how small an operation is too small for the DC lottery. You know, it's one thing to make sure you never have a losing month, which I think will be the case at their prices, yeah. but at the cost of never winning all that much in a month either. I, I don't know. I, my big takeaway here, I guess, is that 
I'm impressed with the public in D.C., the, the betters who are mostly showing themselves to be discerning customers. Uh, you know, we had concerns that large segments of the public wouldn't care enough to seek out good prices. And D.C. so far is proving that wrong to a degree. And and I would think on that front, it would only get worse for Gambit as people's bankrolls on the app dwindle and they realize they're they're not having fun and not turning a profit. I could see the gap only widening between the, these two uh, handle numbers as time goes on. You know, lottery players, uh, I've said before, you know, the lottery is a tax on people who are bad at math. And that's still the case. So, yeah, they're going to lose money in this product. They're going to lose money in the lottery. They're going to lose money on all of it. They they right. keep coming back for more. Thank <laughs> yeah. you, sir. May I have another? So <laughs> I think they're going to have another. Yeah. Uh, and meanwhile, I'll just note that D.C. is a, a tough betting town for the pro bettors. You know, the choices are a lottery app with minus 133 or so lines and William Hill, which is the book most likely to limit their action. So uh, no great options there for the professionals in D.C. Well, Virginia is not far away. And there's, <laughs> That's another, true. there's another state we can talk about. Maybe. Yeah, there you go. Nice transition. Uh, our third third news item isn't so much a current news item as a look ahead news item. But Jill Dorson wrote an excellent look ahead item for Sports Handle this week. So we're stealing her angle. Uh, Jill wrote about how three states will put referendums in front of their voters in November, potentially legalizing sports betting in Maryland, which was the state you were just alluding to, uh, Louisiana, and South Dakota. Uh, We talked about Maryland earlier this year. Because of the pandemic, the legislative session got cut short and they couldn't hammer out sports betting details, but they're making it a ballot initiative and if approved, They'll work out the details then. There are six casinos in the state that would be able to open sports books, and DraftKings and FanDuel have thrown their financial support behind the legislation, which tells you everything you need to know about mobile betting being included. Mm-hmm. Louisiana sports betting, if supported by voters, would be retail only for now. And interestingly, each of the 64 parishes in the state votes independently. So like DFS, sports betting could be legal in some parts of the state and not in others. And (laughs) South Dakota has a very limited option on the table as gambling is only legal in the town of Deadwood. And so too would sports betting only be allowed in Deadwood if the ballot initiative is approved by voters. So we have three states, but only one of the three is looking at online. Still, anything intrigue you about any of these states' approaches, John, and any guesses as to how voters will respond in November? Uh, You know, gambling ballot questions have always been a puzzle. Uh, One of the reasons is that uh, in the grand scheme of things, and perhaps especially this year, uh, it's not really a big deal. So uh, to the extent that people still show up at a ballot box this year at a local polling place, um, they're going to go in there and I hate to say it, but maybe half of them didn't even know there was a ballot question. So they right. see it for the first time. They see a little interpretation thing. They don't really care that much. Let's be honest, the, you know, the typical person. So what's going to happen? You know, in, in 2011, New Jersey had a referendum on sports betting, you know, the first one. And that openly defied a federal law, PASPA. So uh, the supporters were worried that voters might say, well, you know, it's not it's not legal according to the federal law. So we probably shouldn't pass it. And it won by a two to one margin. Nobody mm. saw that coming. So, you know, with that in mind, you know, Maryland might have a strong turnout this year overall. Would that help them? I guess. Louisiana, you know, I'll, I'll guarantee you this. It passes in some parishes and not in others. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, I, closer to New Orleans, my first inclination is the better the chances, right? I mean, that's the New Orleans lifestyle. But right. the fact is, maybe the locals are content with the extensive illegal book- bookies that are already there. Hmm. So they might think, what do we need this for? Um, South Dakota. Again, my first inclination was, does it snow there in November? But um, I guess everybody's got a four-wheel drive and they have no trouble (laughs) getting around. So that's not going to slow them down. I guess they think it's a good idea to only have it in Deadwood. Maybe they'll think this makes Deadwood even a bigger, you know, have a bigger chance to kind of compete with, uh, you know, Miami and Los Angeles and San Diego for uh, those national tourists and international tourists. I don't know. So I guess they're going to, I'm going to say that they're going to say yes. (laughs) Okay. I I, I like the way that you are really committed on Louisiana. That's a smart, that's a smart bet there. Um, Now, if you had picked like an exact number, you know, say like 44 will approve, you know, then I, then I'd really be uh, impressed if you nailed it. But yeah, I have to be honest. I haven't had time or taken the time at least to research anything about potential voter preferences in these states, um, although I've seen the phrasing of the ballot questions and they're all much better than the one that nearly screwed things up in Colorado. <laughs> uh, for example, in Maryland, it reads, do you favor the expansion of commercial gaming in the state of Maryland to authorize sports and event betting for the primary purpose of raising revenue for education? 
that sounds like a question that people will be inclined to vote yes to. Um, and I'll, I'll note uh, about Louisiana that they're surrounded by other states with retail only betting like Mississippi and Arkansas or no betting at all. That region, it'll be interesting to see what happens if and when one of the states goes mobile. That that could trigger the whole region. Tennessee is, is going to be starting soon. Uh, they're not directly connected to Louisiana, but they're close. Maybe that'll start a bit of a chain reaction that eventually reaches Louisiana, Mississippi, and, and those states do all eventually go mobile. And South Dakota? Uh, well, I don't think it take a lot of states to for that chain to reach South Dakota. But uh, no, I mean, what do you think about South Dakota? You, uh, yeah, taxes or not? All right, I'll, no, I'll I'll go with you. I think that I think you made a good case that people um, in in the state sort of like the idea of well, it's it's only in Deadwood. It it doesn't affect me that much, but sure, let's make Deadwood that more of a a tourist attraction. Give them sports betting. Yeah, sure, I'll I'll, I'll lean toward a yes there. That that works right. for me. Yeah, I think we'll we'll both lock it in there. Okay. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. The abbreviated 60-game Major League Baseball season is approaching its final weekend, and the playoffs begin next Tuesday. So this is our last chance on the podcast to talk about futures and betting options before the postseason gets underway. Joining us now to lend his expertise on that topic is Roto Grinders contributor, Grinders Live host, and top DFS player, Justin Van Zuden. Justin's Twitter handle and DFS name is STLCardinals84. So, although he is a fantasy standout in several sports, we know he has a particular passion for baseball. Justin, thanks for joining us on Gamble On. Yeah, happy to be here. It's uh, nice to join you. And it's, I mean, it's crazy that it feels like a baseball season, right? The baseball season is always the biggest slog there is. It's six months and, you know, everybody's uh, playing all summer long and, you, you know, you're battling injuries and now all of a sudden, boom, 60 games. Here we are the end of September and the season's over. So uh, it, it's just, it's, it's bizarre that it went so fast. You're just not used to that. Uh, with a baseball season, but uh, here we are. Time flies. Yeah, and I guess the, the postseason will last uh, almost as long as the regular season <laughs> this year. Um, so let's start with the clear favorite to win the World Series, the L.A. Dodgers. They have the best regular season record. They're stacked with talent. But being the number one seed isn't as valuable this year as they'll have to survive a best of three series to start, and then the rest of the playoffs are played on neutral turf. Everywhere I look, the Dodgers are plus 350 to win it all. Are they so good, do you think, Justin, that it's worth considering that bet? Or is no team worth a return that low under this unpredictable playoff format? Yeah, I could never bet anybody at plus 350. You've got 16 teams in the mix instead of eight. Uh, that first round, you know, it's a, it's a three, you know, best of three series. And all it takes is two hot starting pitchers to knock you out. And, you know, we're recording this before the first round series are set, but let's say, you know, if the, if the Dodgers get matched up with a team like the Reds and you get to go against uh, Trevor Bauer and Sonny Gray and Luis Castillo, right? All it takes is two really good starts from those pitchers. And I'm not saying that a team like the Reds uh, has the talent top to bottom that the Dodgers do in a seven game series. I would expect the Dodgers to beat a team like that, but in a three game series, anything goes. And then even if you get through that, you got to get through, you know, your normal rounds of playoffs after that. So I really can't fathom betting anyone at less than 10 to one odds this year, uh, just too much unpredictability and just the smallest of slumps uh, will, you know, put you in danger of being knocked out, right? You lose game one, you've got no home field advantage. You've got no crowd. There's no benefit really to being a higher seed because even these you know, even these lower seeds, these seven and eight seeds, right? You're looking at teams like, you know, the AL Central, you got one of the White Sox, the Twins, or the Indians is going to be a seven or an eight seed. It's just you've got any of these teams can knock out one of the higher seeds in the first round. Like if a seven beats a two, nobody's going to be shocked. So at plus 350, I just – I think there's way too much risk for the benefit you're getting in the Dodgers bet. Right. And then and then I see that uh, if you took the Dodgers just to win the NL, uh, that's only plus 145. I'm guessing you, you wouldn't feel any yeah, better about crazy. that. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> and, you know, I've even I pulled it up on DraftKings and they've got it at plus 130. So, you know, it's wow. it, it's just it's crazy to and those kind of odds. And, you know, I know 
on the American League side, the Yankees aren't quite as short, but and I know that they've been red hot lately and, and hitting home runs all over the place. But this just feels like one of those postseasons where it's going to be a little bit unpredictable. I think the best way to get some value out of your money is, you know, you take a longer shot team and, you know, if they're 45 to one and they don't win, it's less disappointing than if you take the four to one favor. This just doesn't feel like the year to do it. Like if this was the NCAA tournament, it's not the year where all the number one seeds are going to make it to the finals. And it's not disparaging the Yankees or the Dodgers or whoever the favorites might be. It's just with the format, uh, I think there's more risk in there. Right. Justin, I'm kind of fascinated, too, by this extra level of rounds. The way I think about it is I assume any sharp is going to assume that any of the top seeds can lose 40 percent of the time, let's say, in that first round. So they're going to factor that into their odds. And so I was going to ask you on whether uh, the odds makers are kind of uh, factoring in what the what the Sharps know and will play or what the casual fan who I like the Yankees, I like the Cardinals, I'm going to pick them no matter what. And it sounds like they're, which way they're going, but I guess, uh, so follow up to that almost would be, so the Dodgers, uh, if they win the first round, uh, then what kind of line are they going to have compared to last year? Well, I assume that entering the regular uh, level of rounds, the Dodgers should have been the same price last year as they would be this year, being a, a dominating team wins two thirds of their games. But is the, is the, is the odds going to change somewhat, even though they're only going to be where they started last year when the playoffs? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, if they're plus 350 now, if they win the first round, maybe they get to plus 275 or something. And, you know, I don't think it's going to be a crazy shift. But, you know, as to the question, I think there's a little bit of both in there. I mean, I think that the Dodgers and the Yankees odds are both a little bit shorter because of public, right? Big markets, Yankees, Dodgers, big time teams. But I think they are factoring in you know, the talent levels of some of these teams too. I mean, you look at the Rays are like six and a half to one. The A's are 10 to one. Those are not popular public teams, but I think there's, so I think there's a little bit of that priced in there with teams like the Dodgers and the Yankees. You know, I like to call it the Notre Dame factor. Uh, Notre Dame football team always seems to be favored or, or underdogs, you know, by less points or, or favored by more points uh, than you think they, they should be because the public money is always going to hammer Notre Dame no matter what. So I think you see some of that with teams like the Dodgers and the Yankees, but at the same token, you're not getting too long of odds on maybe teams that are would normally be more under the radar publicly like the Rays and the A's. So um, fascinated to see kind of how that uh, plays out and you know where the money starts to come in once these first-round matchups are set. Uh, there's so much still – unknown you know as of the time we're recording this with the what the matchups are going to be particularly in the national league you've got a huge race for those final few spots so um, once those first round matchups are set it's going to be really interesting to see you know who's got to go up against the pitching of a team like the reds or you know who gets matched up against um, the yankees and their powerful offense in the first round i think um, you know you're going to see some first round upsets and when you start to see some series lines um, I'll definitely be betting, betting a couple underdogs in those first round series because three games, you know, like you say, if it's a 40% chance, maybe over a five game series, it's a 33% chance, maybe over a seven game series, it's a 25% chance. Uh, but that three game series is just going to make it. I mean, you lose game one. Imagine that the Dodgers are these huge favorites. They lose game one backs against the wall out of the gate. Um, it's going to make it great to watch. And I think uh, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah. Um, so, so looking back on the regular season that is just about complete, uh, what are some bets or picks that you made that, that stand out? Is, is there anything you really nailed this year or is there anything that, that really took you by surprise? Yeah, I really like the White Sox heading into the season. You look at the, the moves they made in the offseason, and I kind of said from a fantasy perspective at the beginning of the year, you're going to want some exposure to this White Sox offense, and they've got power up and down the lineup. I know they've struggled a little bit here um, down the closing stretch. We'll see if that you know, uh, impacts them heading into the playoffs, but still a team that has obviously taken leaps uh, forward this year. Lucas Giolito has continued his improvement, and basically all those top three teams there in the American League Central a very good baseball team. So you look at the way the White Sox and the Twins and the Indians have been able to perform, uh, despite the fact that they, you know, have had to play each other 10 times each in a 60-game season. Um, you know, I know you get some games against the Royals and the Tigers in there, but those are three really good teams. Um, the White Sox, you know, in addition to their power, their, their pitching is maybe a little better than people expected. Um, the Twins, you know, have one of the best bullpens in the league, and and the Indians have come on towards the end of the year. So I think – uh, the fact that the American League Central was, you know, was really good is, um, you know, one of the things that I kind of 
uh, hit on at the beginning of the season. I, I really expected the Rays to struggle a little bit more than they have. I mean, it's one of those teams that it's always the sum of the parts is better than the individual pieces. But for them to be able to put all that together and, you know, and, and be at the top of the American League East, granted the Red Sox aren't who they were, but to be able to beat the Yankees, to be able to beat an improving Toronto team, uh, that's one that, you know, I didn't see the Rays as the team that was going to sit here at the end of September and have the best record in, in the league. So uh, kudos to them uh, for being so good. And uh, that was one that, that kind of took me by surprise just a little bit. Right. So all in all, uh, looking at this, uh, this 60 game sprint that we had, would you say that it turned out wackier or, or less wacky than maybe you saw, uh, than you, you foresaw coming in? And certainly a sub, a sub question of that is just sort of, the whole COVID thing, we weren't sure what to expect a weekend. It looked like the season was crashing and burning and then somehow they pulled it off. Yeah. I mean, my Cardinals didn't play for three weeks and it, I mean, right. it's been, they've, you can tell that they're a little bit tired here coming down the stretch. They've had so many double headers, but for them to be able to get all, every team is going to get all their games in except the Cardinals who are scheduled for 58. And then if needed a double header the day after the season ends against the Tigers to get to their 60. When, if you would have told us that two weeks in the season, when the Marlins were sidelined, and when the Cardinals were sidelined, that they were going to get all their games in and that both the Marlins and the Cardinals would be in contention for playoff spots. I would have right. looked at you and told you you were crazy. <laughs> um, but all told, I, you know, the, the season has gone pretty much, I'd say, less wacky than I would have expected. You know, yeah, you got the teams like the Marlins that are in the mix and the Red Sox that have fallen off. But the good teams, the Yankees, the Indians, the Twins, uh, the Dodgers, a lot of people like the Padres this year. We know the Cubs have talent. I mean, all those teams – are going to be in the playoffs. So it's not like there's this dynamite team that got left out of the playoffs. Yeah, you can say maybe the Nationals, uh, but their offense just hasn't been, you know, hasn't been healthy and hasn't been elite this year. Um, but all told, most of those powerhouse teams that you would think would absolutely get in the playoffs in a 162-game season are going to get there. So um, I expected maybe a few more surprises on that front with only 60 games, but uh, as it turns out, most of them are, are going to make it. Yeah. Yeah, well, the Nationals were 19 and 31 last year. Yeah, and they won the World Series 19 and 31 this year. So they didn't get the memo about the 60 game season. I guess <laughs> got to start a little faster next they're, time. They're a little late. So I'm really intrigued by one kind of uh, I think under the radar aspect of the postseason, especially with the final eight, which is uh, fewer off days. Um, I'm thinking there's no reason that hitting lineups should be any different just because it's fewer off days. I mean, they only played 60 games. I think they can get through, you know, 10 or 15 more in a row uh, unless, uh, you know, the rare hitter with an injury or something. But uh, so I'm thinking of pitching and I'm kind of debating whether uh, I think I should be looking for an edge with uh, fourth starters. Are they much more important than ever or deeper bullpens? Um, because some teams have, you know, that, that big three, maybe four and they with off days, they can use them all and they never really have to get any deeper. So is, is the starting pitching or the relief pitching, do you think uh, more important uh, for depth in terms of uh, a team having a little more of an edge this year than they normally do? Yeah, I think having a deep rotation helps um, having that good fourth starter, right? You got a lot of, I guess it doesn't matter if you lose in the first round with three games, but you get farther along having that four starter will help. Uh, but I think a big factor is going to be at the bullpens and you look at the teams. I just pulled this up. The top five teams in bullpen ERA, you've got Oakland, you've got the Dodgers, you've got Atlanta, you've got Tampa Bay, you've got Minnesota. Those are the top five teams uh, in bullpen ERA. All five of those teams are going to be in the playoffs. So I think those are the teams that all of them have a little bit more depth in the bullpen. Maybe they don't have four or five or six big names, but they have quality middle relievers that are used more and more, right? We saw Tampa Bay was the first team to adopt kind of that opener approach. And you've got teams like Minnesota and Oakland with really deep, solid bullpens. There's not these weak middle relievers. So even if you know, you have to go to a fourth starter. Well, that's going to be a starter that in the playoffs, you're not going to let that pitcher have a really long leash anyway. You know, mm -hmm. he gets through four innings, he gets in trouble in the fifth, you're getting him out of there. And if you've got that deep middle relief, things that the Twins and the Rays, and it's probably a big reason why the Rays are so good, and Oakland, um, those are teams that I think will benefit with having fewer off days in the postseason, presuming they get through the first round. I think the starting pitching is going to be really huge in that first round with the short series uh, but you get into those uh, LCS rounds and in the World Series, uh, I think the teams with the deeper bullpens are the ones that you're going to see win out. 
Okay, so I, I think I'm scratching uh, Eric's Phillies off my uh, long shot sleeper list if they make the playoffs. I, I, I was going to say, once he said the words bullpen ERA, my, my heart sank a little bit. <laughs> the Phillies are around seven, so I'm guessing that's yeah. probably not going to be good enough. But, uh, yeah, sorry about that. I know it's been a heartbreaking uh, week already. And, uh, you know, there's so many teams here as we head to the final days. There's so many teams in the National League there that are just separated by – uh, a couple of games for that last spot. And I'm sure that uh, Mr. Workman's probably not in the best graces of the Philly fans <laughs> right now, but uh, you know, maybe they'll make a run here the last few games. Yeah. Hey, it well, could be worse. It could be worse. I'm a Mets fan. So <laughs> <laughs> at, least, at least the Phillies have a sliver of hope still. Right. Exactly. We, we can't, we're recording this stuff uh, to the listeners. know we're recording this on Wednesday evening. The Phillies came into the day still 33% uh, to make the playoffs, I, I believe. So uh, yeah, the Mets are, is there still a, a flicker of hope officially according to the percentages, no. John, or they're officially done? No, I stopped watching them on Sunday. So uh, it's over. <laughs> it's always been over. Well, Justin's got uh, the best team of, of the three yes. of us uh, at, the, at the moment. So uh, uh, this, is, this has been great, Justin. We really appreciate your time. Uh, good luck with any remaining bets and DFS slates this season. And uh, as long as they don't end up standing directly in the way of, uh, of my crappy Phillies team, uh, good, <laughs> hey, luck, official, good luck to the, the Cardinals as well. The official, stand, uh, the official odds have the Mets at 9%, so don't oh, sleep on them go. yet. They still got, the, <laughs> still got a glimmer if they went out. Oh, but, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm sleeping. Believe me, I'm sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, Justin, it's been great talking to you. And uh, yeah, if, if, if my Phillies aren't there, I'll uh, maybe I'll pull for your Cardinals a little bit. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. We'll get to the Fast Five shortly, but first... Let's update our shared bankroll. And it was another negative week for us, although this time it's not my fault. Uh, I split my bets. I lost $50 on the Nuggets game one money line, but my three-team six-point teaser hit in dramatic fashion as the 49ers won easily and the Ravens won easily. But we teased the Chiefs down to minus two and a half and Mahomes rallied them to what I will admit was a pretty darn lucky cover in overtime. Uh, So we won $160 on that. (laughs) Unfortunately, John lost with the lightning on the puck line in game six versus the Islanders. That cost us 100 bucks and his $350 U.S. Open bets all lost. Uh, Care to comment on any regrets or bad beats with those bets, John? Uh, well, you know, I knew the Lightning would dominate the Islanders in Game Six, and they did. They outshot them forty-two to twenty-one. I mean, geez. Mm. Um, so, you know, no shame in that with the Lightning settling for a one-goal win. Um, I, I think, I think the more aggressive play that I made was worth it, given the game played out the way I expected, except for you know the result. Right. Uh, exactly. Uh, the golf bets were funny too. I, I always take a special look when I I make an absolutely horrendous pick. Um, my favorite being the Packers over the 49ers in the NFC Championship game last year. Like that was the worst bet I made in in months, and I don't think I've made a worse bet since. And that makes you really think what what was I thinking there? But uh, these golf ones, I mean, I had 50 on Xander Shoffley to win at plus 1500. It's a good number. He was in the hunt as he made the turn on the final round on Sunday. Then Bryson put on the afterburners or whatever it is you do with afterburners. He did <laughs> right. it. Uh, and X-Man, he faded with four bogeys in a row, but finished fourth or fifth anyway. So uh, Daniel Berger, top 10, plus 300, another nice price. He finished T35, kind of mundane. Uh, Thomas Peters, top 20, plus 600. Until midway through Sunday's final round, the only one of the 144 golfers to reach as low as 600 par was the tall Belgian, who got there on Friday. Uh, then he had four bogeys in the final nine holes on Sunday and tied for 23rd. Oh. Oof, that's brutal. On a plus 600. I mean, that was a great bet that didn't win. So none of these were terrible bets. So uh, the first two were on the aggressive side. For someone like me who doesn't make a ton of wagers, I'm kind of realizing that may not be a great play because uh, I don't think I need 15 uh, 15 to one shots and my golf picks to win one. And then I'm doing fine. But if I, it's like a roulette, you know, you, you, you bet twice, you lose twice, almost every time. If you're there for a couple hours, you're eventually going to win. You know, you're probably gonna lose money, but you're going to have a couple of big wins to go at the losses. So if I would just say, if you're going to be aggressive, um, do it on volume sort of because then you're going to win sometimes and and hopefully come out ahead. But if you're just going to make the occasional only to win or plus 300 to, you know, top 10, you're pretty much going to lose them. And I I learned that the hard way. Yeah. It's, it's good analysis. And and you can't be 
uh, totally results oriented in, in this thing. You gotta, you have to be process oriented to a degree and, and just think about, was it a good bet or wasn't it? And sometimes the ball or the puck doesn't bounce your way. And, and then sometimes, uh, it, it does with the, the, what happened with the chiefs that it all kind of balanced out to a degree that we got lucky on one and a little <laughs> unlucky on some others. So all told we lost $140 on the week and we're in the black by just $127. Now we also have $945 on hold in futures bets. Our, MLB win totals will become official next week. Uh, And that leaves us with $9,182 available to bet with. And you're up first, John. Yeah, I'm going to skip another bad PGA Tour event this week. So let's look at the hockey again. Um, You know, I had the right winner in the first three games of the NHL Finals. uh, Only the right bet two out of three times. But so I think I'm kind of on this series. And so I've got stars 100 to win 148 on the money line in game four. I think the Lightning win the series. Stars have one more left in their tank after a mistake-filled second period in game three. Okay, well, you are the Dallas Stars whisperer uh, during this (laughs) bubble season. So I'll take your word for it on that one. It's a big boxing weekend, Uh, good fights on a few networks, and the main card is a six-fight Showtime pay-per-view on Saturday. Full disclosure, I podcast on the side for Showtime, Uh, but I like this card a lot, and I'm intrigued by the two main events, which uh, that phrasing triggers me in the same way (laughs) co-exclusive triggers me, having two (laughs) main events. Uh, Anyway, the Charlo twins, Jermall and Jermell, are both in dangerous fights. Uh, I have an article going up today on usbets.com about the betting options, including the Charlay, the Charlo parlay, a term (laughs) I have invented. Uh, And uh, I was initially going to bet that Charlay here, both brothers to win at plus 106. But I've changed my mind. I'm going to do one safer bet and one long shot bet. The safer bet is Jermall Charlo to beat Sergei Derevyanchenko as a minus 154 favorite at Fox Bet. I think those odds are good. Let's risk $154 to win 100, not needing a parlay there. But then instead of the standard Charlay, let's try the special KO Charlay. Both brothers to win by knockout. Worth a flyer at plus 850 at William Hill. So let's bet $30 to win $255 on that. Okay. Uh, any chance we're going to have a Charlo versus Charlo fight anytime soon? <laughs> uh, I do not think that will ever happen. It's funny. That came up a lot with the heavyweight Klitschko brothers, Vladimir and Vitaly, who were uh, the dominant heavyweights of about 10 to 15 years ago. Um, and they always swore they promised their mom they would never fight each other. Uh, I don't know if the Charlos have made the same pronouncement, but... Uh, I it, it would be pretty tasteless. It's not the Williams sisters on the tennis court. And even so, when they played each other on the tennis court, you know, they kind of half-assed it a lot of the time and uh, weren't, weren't too motivated to beat each other. So, no, don't count on Charlo versus Charlo ever happening. Yeah, I was actually going to bring that up. I covered the first Venus versus Serena U.S. Open final in, in New York. And, um, yeah, it was just awkward. They, of course, root for each other all the way through. Yeah. And then they get to the final and they're like, well, we don't really want to do this. Right. And so – it was it was bad tennis and you know I think everybody can empathize with them a bit. I mean it kind of sucks you're playing your sister, but then again you know uh, it's an entertainment product and people paid big money to see two great players you know uh, go out of tooth and nail and. I understand why you didn't do it, but still kind of stunk. So yeah, uh, to put it back in boxing terms, whenever they played each other, it felt a little bit like a sparring session. Yeah, no good. So anyway, so college football, I'm going to break the seal here. Um, okay. I'll go with more of one of my tendencies with the NFL this year. Look for a team with two out of new coach, new quarterback, bad offensive line, because all three are a particular disadvantage, I think, in COVID 2020. Uh, now, Arkansas definitely has the first two, at least, uh, uh, new coach, new quarterback. So uh, that's a huge disadvantage. It's a team as good as Georgia. Um, give me the Bulldogs at 100 to win 110, minus 26 points on Saturday. Okay, minus 26. All right. Uh, Let's see, uh, with my second bet here, if I can recapture the magic of the 2019 Thursday Night Football player props. Uh, I think I won eight in a row last year, or maybe it was seven and the eighth lost. I can't remember the exact uh, number it ended on, but it was a fun run. Uh, So I'm going to try to start another streak with Dolphins tight end Mike Gesicki tonight. Uh, Last week against Buffalo, uh, he had 11 targets, eight catches, 130 yards. 
that was an outlier. He's not he's not the new Gronk, uh, but he's good. He averaged 36 yards a game last year, and he's getting better and becoming a favorite target of Ryan Fitzpatrick. And they face a Jags defense that so far this season allowed 69 yards to tight ends in week one and 129 yards to tight ends in mm-hmm. week two, an average of 99 yards per game. The line for Gesicki at DraftKings is 49 and a half yards. Let's risk $112 to win 100 on over 49 and a half receiving yards tonight. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. All right. And we wrap things up with the Fast Five, where it was a high drama week. John and I were both two and two coming into our head-to-head matchup in the <laughs> Sunday night game. And I was asleep before it was over, but I woke up Monday morning to learn that a failed Cam Newton run from the one-yard line decided the week. John went three and two. I went two and three. So John widens his lead on the young season. He's seven and three. I'm limping along at four and six. Uh, but the comeback starts now. Maybe we'll see. Uh, <laughs> my my confidence is not all the way there, but maybe this. By the week, way, I uh, know I yeah. know one pick you're going to make, and I decided I'm going to pick it anyway. Um, mm. So I'm, we'll just see if that comes true. Okay. All right. Interesting. <laughs> wow. Let's see if let's see if you know how I think. Um, first, uh, I feel like I can't go wrong. Uh, by the way, when if if and when I make the pick, uh, <laughs> call it out. Call it out then. Don't don't all leave right. me in suspense. Uh, <laughs> so I feel like I can't go wrong betting against the Vikings, especially if I'm on the right side of the. Hook. Uh, the Titans are minus two and a half. The Vikings are second only to my Eagles for how disappointing they've been through two games. Their defense has fallen off dramatically from recent years. And the Titans, well, they've been eking out games, but the talent is there. Good coaching, good quarterback play. I'd stay away at three and a half, but I like them at two and a half. Uh, my next two picks are NFC East teams, and that scares the hell out of me. Uh, The Washington football team. Uh, The naming of this team is one thing uh, in Washington that is not being rammed through in a hurry. They're taking their sweet time with this. Uh, They're getting seven points at Cleveland, and I see that defensive front forcing some mistakes from the rather mistake-prone Baker Mayfield. I'm not saying Washington wins, but seven is a lot of points. One or two timely turnovers should keep them in this game. Give me the football team plus seven. Uh, now I really have to hold my nose with this next one, but I'll take the Eagles minus five versus Cincinnati. Uh, I just can't believe the Eagles are quite as bad as they've played so far. And Carson Wentz, I need to see him stink one more time before I fully believe that he's lost his way. The Eagles know this is a must win. The Bengals are that young team that doesn't know how to win yet. The five points is a little iffy, but I just have to believe that Doug Peterson will have the team fired up and motivated, and they won't let Cincy keep this one too close. I'm doing the opposite of an emotional hedge. I'm making the emotionally biased bet here, and uh, we'll see what happens. Um, so I have two left, and it's it's sort of dawning on me what, what I think you think my my, my sure thing is, is going to be. So if, if it's not one of these next two, let me take a guess at it. Um, but uh, my next one here is uh, I'll take Tampa Bay minus six at Denver, not because the Bucks are all that good, but because the Broncos are so banged up. Nothing's going their way. They were a trendy sleeper pick before the injury report started killing them before game one. So I, I think Brady and the Bucks can cover the six here. And lastly, we have three major marquee games this week, Dallas, Seattle, Green Bay, New Orleans, and Kansas City against Baltimore. I'm only picking one of them, and it's the Packers getting three points in New Orleans. Breeze is just about cooked. Uh, Rodgers isn't. Michael Thomas is out. That makes it okay that Devontae Adams' health is unknown. I think Green Bay is the slightly better team right now, and they're getting a field goal. So I have to take it. Uh, so I did not uh, get, I guess I did not make the pick you were expecting me to make. No. Okay. No. Was it the Cardinals? Yes. Okay. <laughs> As I was going through, I was realizing, yeah, I've picked them the, the first couple of weeks and, and done well with it. And, uh, you know, I'm, I thought about it. I definitely thought about it. And then uh, the, the Lions uh, backdoor cover potential or the chance for just a weird game or Arizona finally slipping up after a hot start. I couldn't quite commit to it, but I definitely thought about it. So I guess that's one of yours. But uh, go ahead and tell me your five picks. Uh, well, yeah, I had two easy wins in the 49ers and Packers last week, and I went one and two in the competitive one. So uh, overall, three and two, like I say, it's always a good week. Mm-hmm. Um, only one early Sunday pick for me, and it's uh, it's your Titans minus 2.5 over Vikings for a lot of the same reasons. I like the extra half point, but also the fact that the Lions haven't caught up with the fact that I think we agree the Vikings are a bad football team. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Titans don't have the highest ceiling, but it's high enough to beat this spread. So we're in sync there. Um, and then, yes, Cardinals minus five and a half over Lions. You know, I, I saw a little bit early of the Washington football team game. You know, DeAndre Hopkins makes every football team 
even better, every yeah. team. But the difference for this team is the maximum possible benefit. It's like day and night. It's amazing. So, uh, yeah, so I, I was expecting you to make the pick, so I was tempted to not make it. But then in the end, I just like to win, baby. So uh, the Cardinals <laughs> are good. So minus five and a half over the Lions. Okay. Um, then Colts minus 11 over Jets. You know, I rarely go for double-digit favorites, and the Colts are not the Super Bowl favorite or anything. But the Jets are the hottest mess in the league. Uh, give me a brief digression here. When I was covering the New Jersey Nets in the late 1990s, uh, Coach John Calipari's team got off to a terrible start. Plus, he had alienated not only the players, but most of the entire organization. So I wrote a column declaring that for Calipari, the heat is on, as Glenn Fry would say. Right. So the next game, and at the moment that Calipari would always head out from the locker room uh, to the bench, the Nets PA, PA announcer starts playing that song. <laughs> and it was not a compliment. <laughs> so that's kind of where things stood. Not even a week later, we're in Miami. Nets basically don't even show up. And Calipari gets fired in the team playing midway between Miami and Toronto, where they had their next game. Uh, and why is it just now I finally noticed that it was the heat? Yeah, I was Calipari. thinking that as you said. I, did, yeah. I never I never realized that in all these years, 20 years. Uh, point being, Adam Gase is NBA 1990's John Calipari. Uh, so no backdoor cover here. Once the Jets are down, they're staying down. Uh, next game, Packers plus three over Saints on Sunday Night Football. We agree on that, too. I was a little perplexed at how impressive the Raiders looked against the Saints on Monday Night Football. You know, credit to the Raiders, blame the Saints. Uh, not sure on the Raiders, but I'm more confident that Drew, Drew Brees may have a little bit of marmalade on him. I'll just say that. Okay. Um, finally, Monday Night Football, and give me the Ravens minus three and a half points over the Chiefs. I think the showy postseason comebacks and Pat Mahomes' just total awesomeness has put stars in a lot of eyes about the Chiefs overall. The Chargers gashed them for almost 200 yards rushing, and the rookie quarterback passed for 300. It was only the incredible ineptitude of Chargers coach Anthony Lynn that saved the Chiefs. Uh, and you know who, didn't, who they didn't rally against in last year's playoffs? The Ravens. Uh, Ravens are ready for this one. Three and a half, I think, is going to lure a lot of people onto the Chiefs, and I think the Ravens win by double digits. Okay, interesting. And uh, all right, I escaped uh, the week in which I pick first without you going head-to-head -head against me on anything, so that's that's a good sign, at least, since I'm 0-3 in our head-to-head -head so far this year. <laughs> exactly. All right, that will do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening, and thanks again to our guest, Justin Van Zuden. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And with that, John, please take us out. I just want to tip my hat to the NBA, the NHL, MLB, MLS, WNBA, all the alphabets, including the NFL for two weeks, for somehow making this pandemic ball work. You know, we all want to be at the arenas, the ballparks and the stadiums. But I also think over time, we all kind of made the same Faustian bargain or maybe it was Faustian bargain. I'm not sure. But <laughs> either way, um, you know, I give up on attendance if we can at least get the ball games, And that's the deal we struck and, and we're liking it. You know, and as silly as it sounds to many, no doubt, having games to watch and, and bet on, sure. Uh, it just feels normal at a time when hardly anything else does. So thanks, sports. And with that, until next time, gamble on, everybody. Gamble on.